Welcome to Radio ISO, the podcast for anyone out there in self-isolation who's really missing someone right now. It's a frightening time and we don't yet know how the next weeks will unfold. So during that period, this will be a place to tell your stories about the people you love and miss. I'm your host, Emily Sargent. Today I spoke to Laura. Laura's living in London and is currently separated from her dad in Wales, who's battled alcohol addiction for much of Laura's adult life. For reasons that will become clear, I'm going to say right at the top that if you'd like to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you either by email at radioisopodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at radioisopod. just occurred to me that this when when you were like oh tomorrow morning I was like yeah totally great and then I was like oh my god I'm interrupting your Easter Sunday to do this so thank you so much oh god don't worry we've done our um, egg hunt at about half past six this morning so I won't worry too much we had there was actually it was sort of amazing we cycled this morning Kaylee made a a margarita that was so strong last night that after the first drink I was basically like I, I then had to like try and cook dinner it was and um, shambles but weirdly we both woke up I don't know if it was because we'd had basically drunk a bottle of tequila last night but we both woke up at seven and we cycled um oh well done to like into town basically to Covent Garden and oh. it was so I mean it was like amazing because it was just seeing all those places with no people but also I just know. bizarre yeah it is bizarre it's really it's eerie isn't it yeah so how how are you guys feeling generally at the moment self-isolation wise yeah. we're okay we're quite lucky here because my husband's a teacher mm-hmm. and we live at the school and so there's like football pitches and cricket pitches and like, oh great you know we're yeah so no we're, we're okay we're okay here say so it's just um usually I can go back to Wales and visit my family so if if it was another time where I wasn't working I'd be like back and forth visit, visiting my dad visiting my auntie but I feel like we are quite lucky, although my husband goes back to work next week, so maybe I won't feel so lucky when I've got two kids to entertain by myself. Check back with me next Sunday <laughs> and I'll probably feel different. You're so serene at the moment. You're like, I can't complain, um, these luscious green lawns. and It's heaven, really, next week. I mean, week. it's lovely. I want to die. <laughs> <laughs> well, Godspeed. I hope that... Yeah, um, thanks. Yeah, I, yeah I, I've, I've probably... I've got a few friends who've got kids and I think it is a different experience because we are not having to constantly fill our day with thinking of activities and yeah. games and things. Yeah, th- that's the only thing is, so this morning, I don't know why, I always think that craft things are going to go well and they never do, whether it's painting <laughs> or sticking or stickers, gluing, drawing, whatever. And it was going really well until Jonah, who just turned two last week, decided that he wanted to do it. And then, of course, it involves glue and it involves scissors and it involves sharing, which is not what a four-year-old and a two-year-old are very good at. So it all ended in tears. And then it got to about 10 to 11. I went, right, I've got to go now because I'm going to go and chat. Um, on the phone I was like hey 
got, yeah. I, I've got an image of like, you know, at the end of films when there's like an explosion and someone's just walking away from it in <laughs> slow motion. That's just you leaving. So we spend a lot of time doing the um, them bones, them bones, them, them, them bones, them bones, them bones, them, 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 them bones. So we do a lot of uh, skeleton bones and um, if you're happy and you know it and oh, stuff. Oh, great. All the so big that, hits. All the massive hits that everybody knows and loves. Tell us who of your family are, are they all in Cardiff or are they in different parts of Wales? So my family live in um, Llantrisant. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. How do you spell that? Um, so basically it's about 20 miles from Cardiff. Um, so they all live there. And um, uh, usually, as I was just saying, they I can go back and visit them a lot. Um, I've just recently lost my job because of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I work in, obviously, as you know, I work in theatre and the job that I was in, unfortunately, is not going to reopen after this. So it's all a bit sad. Mm. Um, But even when I was working, I could um, uh, kind of go home after the show on a Saturday night um, or, you know, take the kids on a Sunday morning and then we'd spend a couple of days there or whatever. so yeah, they're all there now. And as I say, usually if I had loads of time on my hands, I would probably, especially if my husband was working, I'd probably take the kids for about a week or 10 days at a time and go and stay um, at my auntie's house. Is your So is your auntie the person in your family who you're closest to? Yeah. So um, she's my dad's sister. And she um, she's basically like my mum. Um, so I lost my mum when I was 17. So she's basically become like my mum figure to me. And she's absolutely incredible. Mm. And uh, my kids call her Granty because obviously <laughs> they because my husband lost his mum. So they don't have a grandmother. So my my auntie is like their grandmother figure. So they yeah. call her Gran- Granty and they absolutely adore her. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So if we go home, that's kind of who I'd stay with. Um, and then I would kind of go and visit my dad. Mm. Uh, who lives like two miles away but um I wouldn't I haven't stayed at my dad's house when I've gone home for well since I was pregnant with Layla actually mm-hmm. my dad obviously is an alcoholic yeah so he obviously I mean he started drinking when my brother died um and then obviously when my mum died started drinking even more and because he's unwell um it's quite difficult to sometimes have a relationship with him Mm. um because sometimes he's just mentally just not with it enough or he doesn't feel well or whatever the case may be um so yeah sometimes it can be quite hard for like for my auntie for me for um you know everybody um but I think even more so at the minute because a couple of weeks before um this whole thing kicked off, the coronavirus stuff. Um, my dad was admitted to hospital mm-hmm. and was really poorly. Um, and then uh, got a little bit better and then decided he didn't want to be in hospital anymore. So he discharged himself and then ended back there a couple of days later because he'd had a fall and wasn't very well. And anyway, so he'd kind of been in and out of hospital. Mm. And like I said, usually whenever he's been ill in the past, um, was for instance, he was poorly uh, three years ago. He was in 
and he was there for eight weeks in hospital and he was really really early had sepsis and cellulitis and to be honest I thought that that was kind of he was that was it but because he's so stubborn he he kind of pulled through it um and in those cases when he's been ill in the past I've just as soon as somebody's called from home my auntie or whoever and said your dad's not well I drop everything I jump in the car and I just go mm-hmm whether I'll be able to take the kids with me or whether my husband, if he's not working, I'll leave the kids here or usually take the kids with me. Anyway, in this instance, obviously, you can't just get in the car um, and go. And so I'm finding it really weird trying to manage my dad's health and well-being from 160 miles away. Yeah. And because he lives on his own... It's really difficult. Um, as I say, he was in hospital and he did actually, he was discharged before this whole thing kicked off. And then I tried to get um, social care for him, which I managed to do. But then because this whole uh, coronavirus is just taking staff members and they're having to go into isolation or they're ill or whatever it might be, they're, they're, the, the team that look after my dad are so short-staffed that they've had to cut his social care and it went down mm. from three times a day to two times a day to once a day and now it's nothing and how did and the, he react to that did i don't th- i don't think he fully understands um kind of i think he just i don't think he fully understands the severity of what's happening globally and obviously when it got to the point where i knew that nobody was going to be going there anymore i said to my husband he's going to have to come and live with us because he has he falls over every day so I said to my husband I was like I cannot sit here knowing that he's there with nobody going to care for him yeah uh so let's let's organize it so that he can come here my husband was like of course let's do whatever we need to do that's fine um and then it got my husband's a teacher as I've mentioned um, and obviously, so we had to wait until the end of term and until obviously my husband hadn't seen any any of his students or any of his colleagues. And then we had to wait another week in case my husband showed signs, which um, he then did. Oh. Um, he had a sore throat and, you know, was really, really lethargic and all the rest of it. So we thought, oh, God, right, OK. So we had to wait even longer. And unfortunately, just we came to the conclusion that whilst my dad could fall over at any point and then nobody would know about it you know until god knows when the risks of him coming up here and because my husband again because he's a teacher he's he's teaching uh, key workers kids still yeah um and there's only one or two of them at a time but obviously then that is there is a risk attached to that because they're doctors and nurses kids and you know, mm. um, the risks of him coming up here and my husband potentially bringing it into the house or if my dad was then ill, we couldn't get him to see um, a doctor because he didn't have a doctor. So we'd have to take him down to A&E. And then obviously you don't know who's going to have it in A&E and the risks up here are much higher. Mm. As I say, we just thought, oh, he's going to have to stay there. But then I had to try and explain to my dad that he had to stay in his own house, even though I told him that we were going to come and get him. Um he what, just didn't. He just doesn't that? understand it. I was going to say, what was that conversation like? He just he didn't really understand at first. So I'd, he'll be like, "Where's the local swimming pool? Oh, I'm going to go for a swim." Um, no, you're not. <laughs> or he'll call and he'll say, um, 
where oh so the other day after I'd had a conversation with him about not coming to stay here he called me a few hours later um where's the key to this new house that I'm I'm going to live in then I said no you're not going to any house dad well no I am I'm going to a house and I can't find a key and so it's hard um trying to have those conversations with him from a distance it's sort of I don't see that you could have taken any other decision you know it's just we're now in this like really strange world where everything just feels like putting one risk assessment against another yeah How has your relationship with your dad been in the past? Is it sort of thinking from childhood to now? How has it changed over the years? Oh, so my dad, when I was growing up, and for a long time into being an adult as well, was my absolute hero. And I think he could literally have done no wrong. And now... The difficulty is, is obviously now that I've got kids of my own and, you know, your, my kind of the way that I think about things day to day have changed, even though I don't realize they have, they just do. It is a lot different. And the difficulty is with with mental health and things like that is that it's never as you know, it's never their fault. Whatever they do is never their fault. Like my dad's an alcoholic, but they're, and it'd be very easy to go, well, you're an alcoholic, so just stop doing what you're doing because mm-hmm. you're hurting people. But there's always a reason why somebody does what they do. And my dad, as I say, obviously, like I said, I lost my mum when I was 17. So my dad was widowed at the age of 48. And so obviously, you know, that happened to my dad. And even before that had happened to my dad, um, I had uh, uh, another brother who died when he was when he was nearly three, and to think that my dad has been through losing a child and then losing his wife at like a relatively young age, yeah, and and the fact that he's a man of a certain age where obviously you don't really talk about your feelings, um, just what he must have held on to all these years in his, in his head. And inside him, you just think, I can't be angry at you because of the way that you've dealt with that. I'm not going to be angry at you because you found that kind of drinking is the only way forward. Who would I to be angry at that? Because I I can't possibly think about putting myself in your shoes. I don't know what you feel. Obviously, he's my dad, and I always love him. But I, it's it has it's got to the point where I can't help him. Like mm. physically, I can help him. I can go there and I can clean his house and I can wash his clothes and I can, you know, organ- I can buy- fill his fridge with food and whatever. But ultimately, that's all background noise, isn't it? You know, people have this idea that kids are like the greatest tonic for, for people who are, you know, having whatever issue and kids just kind of bring people out of, you know, whatever despair they're in. But it's not true. And I think I thought that, I think I thought that I'd have my children and that it would make my dad go, I've got things to live for. Mm. I'm going to stop what I'm doing and I'm going to enjoy my grandchildren. And I think it's when Layla was born and that didn't happen, I think something in my brain clicked. Yeah. And I kind of went, 
oh, this isn't changing, is it? Do you think any of that was um, a, a, a kind of instinct also to protect your yeah. children yeah probably <clears throat> probably and again that's part of the reasons of why he's not here is do you want your children to watch that mm. somebody go through that and somebody doing that to themselves my son he's two and he probably wouldn't remember but when my dad was in hospital a few well, about two months ago, I took the kids to see him. And again, Jonah, who's two, he was like, blah, 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 Dad, I want some grapes, and, you know, and all the rest of it. But Layla, you could see in her face, she was like, I don't like this. Yeah. That, that made her feel uncomfortable. And I don't want to do that to them. Having kids, it, it, it's not that it changed the way that I'd see my dad. I think it just made me see the situation more clearly. I think I always probably thought that everything was going to be okay and that at some point something would happen and then he would get better. And I think, as I say, having the kids, it made me realise that that's, that's just the way that it is. Mm. And he doesn't want... I genuinely don't think he wants to be here anymore. And I, there's nothing that I could physically do that would change his mind. How so, does that, coming to that point of realisation or, or that shift in you, how does that make you feel? Does it? I was going to say, does it make it easier or harder, but maybe it's just too complicated? Of, yeah, it's probably a bit of both. It, it makes it easier to make, easier to make decisions about it, but also you feel more guilty about making those decisions. My dad is my, obviously my husband and my children aside, my one big worry in my life. Mm. And as I say, the thought of, of doesn't matter what I do, it's nothing's really going to help. Um, and there's a massive amount of guilt that comes with that. Yeah. Because you feel like you forget about all the things that you have done to try and help and you just think about all the things that now you're not able to do and you just then feel like you failed them. It's so hard though because there is just no, there's no perfect solution in no. this situation that we're in at the moment. It's, it is that thing of just stacking kind of bad things against each other and seeing which pile is smaller. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and I don't not to say that you know that is going to make you feel less worried or or anything like that. But it's I just think there are probably people all across the country making these just impossible choices. Absolutely, I mean, what a like you said, what a time to be alive. <laughs> How do you remember him as thinking of when you were much younger? what would you say his key personality traits were when I was growing up he was like we came from this not small village but quite a small town but everybody knew my dad everybody um he was like the local carpenter he's really good with his hands like you know and he'd he'd I remember one time um I we had a shop 
like a little corner shop that was about a quarter of a mile from our house. And I left the house one, one day and went, I'm just going to pop at the shop, Dad, and get some milk. OK, I'll be back. This is probably one. I think my mum had passed away at this point, so I was probably about 17 or 18. Mm. I was going to pop at the shop. And he was um, in the driveway with a couple of planks of wood. And then, and then I came back and I swear to God, it was 20 minutes later because I'd probably dawdled on the way home. Not that long. And he'd like whipped up this like incredible like dressing table with all like intricate wooden like wow. um, detail in it. And I was like, Whoa, how have you done this? Um, yeah, he's a really talented carpenter and everybody knew him and everybody loved him. Um, and life and soul of the party. Everybody just loved him. And what I've noticed over the last couple of years is those people that loved him. I mean, obviously, some of them are now dead because, you know, they're in their 70s and 80s. But those people, I don't know anybody that thinks my of my dad in that way anymore. This, I mean, being an alcoholic, it does awful things to your body, you know, but... It, the things that it does to your brain that I don't think people understand and it causes massive personality changes. It causes uh, confusion and forgetfulness and aggression and various other things. Mm. And th I, I truly believe that this, um, this, this thing that he has because of his alcoholism has changed his personality so much that people now think he's this person that he wasn't, that he's not. Um, and that's that's really hard to deal with because you just think these these people that say the people that live on his street or whatever, <clears throat> you just think, I just wish that you knew him 20 years ago. So I call him every day, um, like sometimes a few times a day. And it sounds really morbid, but he doesn't really want to talk much. But I'm genuinely calling to see if he's alive. God, that must be such a terrifying call to make every day for you. I mean, I don't know how yeah. you begin to sort of put yourself through that every day. This person um, that is that is here now is not my dad. Like, my dad, and I, I remember my dad, but also this person was my dad. And so I can't just let him, you know, kind of be on his own mm. I have to even if I don't feel like it's going in I have to keep telling him that I'm here even if it doesn't make a difference and if he does need me I'm here and when was the last time you think you spoke to him and you were talking to the old version of your dad oh um Oh, God. Um, so I used to go, like I say, when I used to go and visit home before Layla was born, and I used to go and stay at my dad's, and we'd, I'd sit next to him on the sofa, and we, I'd literally kutch him, which for any English people that means <laughs> cuddle. I know that you'll know what that means. But, yeah, I'd sit and I'd kutch my dad on the sofa, and we'd watch a film or whatever, and we could chat about anything and we'd go for walks with a dog. I mean, I can't remember really having those conversations or feeling that way for years. 
Mm. Um, but they're still very much in my memory. But yeah, it's probably a couple of years, I'd say. Is this is there a memory that you think of that you think when you when you picture him that um, is a happy one that you still miss now? So I always remember. Obviously, I work in theatre, like musical theatre, and I've always sung. And my dad, when I was younger, um, my friends will laugh at this. I used to go around singing in the like pubs and clubs because I'm from Wales and that's what we do. Um, and my dad was basically my roadie. <laughs> <laughs> right? So he bought me like speakers and amps and microphones and like back in the day when you had to have like mini disc players and things. So oh, I yeah. had like these mini disc players and my dad learned, he bought two mini disc players just so that he could play one and then fade one song into the other. Mm. <laughs> and so my dad was basically my roadie. And from when I was about 13 until I, well, moved to London. Um, well, no, till I was about, yeah, yeah, till I moved to London, my dad used to, basically spend his weekends from Thursday to Sunday driving me around the country for me to do gigs and um, my whole family would come up and watch wherever I was whether it was somewhere in Wales or whether we were up in Birmingham or Manchester or down in Devon or ever mm. and my dad used to drive me and we used to sit in the car on the way to wherever we were going and he used to play me his favourite songs mm. And I always remember him playing me like uh, Roberta Flack, like first time ever I saw your face. And he used to play me like um, a song by the Bee Gees called The First of May. And really like lots of lovely, lovely songs. Mm. And, he, and then he used to cry and mm. tell me how much he loved this song and what it meant to him. And I just always have these like lovely memories of, and then he'd put his hand on my knee, which was nice. And then he'd do that thing that, like, dads do where they, like, squeeze your knee and then it hurts, but it tickles at the same time. And I'd be like, stop it! Um, so, yeah, I always have these really lovely memories of of him, like, introducing me to lovely songs and music and stuff. Do you um, think that that connection but that you shared of um, both loving music was... You know, do you think that was those moments were something that he couldn't necessarily vocalise? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Because I say because he's a man of a kind of certain age, like he's nearly seventy, and they've come from a time where you don't talk about anything. But yeah, he'd play me songs, and and then yeah, you could you could tell that he's trying to t he was trying to tell me something. He Did he ever manage in those moments to? Or did he ever say anything to you about what it meant for him? No, no, just, he would just, oh, listen to this. This is a lovely song, isn't it? And then he'd play it through once and then he'd play it again and then he'd play it again. And then he'd say he'd have these little, little tears in his eye. Mm. And I would never really need to, like, ask him, what do you mean or how do you feel? Because I think that's all he could do. I don't think he would have ever been able to tell me anymore. Has he ever... Have you and him ever had any kind of conversation where he's asked what the effect 
of all of this has been on you or has suggested that he knows it's been hard? No. No. And I don't think that's come from like a selfish point. I just think probably a few things. He's probably so engulfed in how everything's made him feel that he c- I don't think he could put himself in anyone else's shoes. Yeah. Is there anything that you've not said to him before that you feel like you would like to? <clears throat> oh. Yeah. If I thought that I could say to him without bursting into tears in his face, because he doesn't like it when I cry, don't cry now, you know, don't cry. If I thought I could say to him, you did a really good job Mm -hmm. and that I was really proud of him, I would say it, but I can't because I can barely say it now. (laughs) Regardless of how things have panned out, that I think that he did the best that he could and that was enough. I think with this whole situation that's been going on um, and everything with my dad, Mm. when I saw that you needed people to talk to, I went, oh, I think that would really help me just to say words and get it out. and, And it has, so thank you. The first time ever I saw your face I thought the sun rose in your eyes And the moon and the stars were the gifts you gave to the dark and the endless skies, my love, to the dark and the endless skies.